from beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Hi, and welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey, and this is Mark. Hiya, it's episode 84, and tonight we are talking about science fiction film Archive. Came out in 2020. In this episode, we will reveal what we thought about the film, the ins and outs of narrative and film language, plus a nice deep dive into a specific piece of science that the filmmakers are proposing. Archive was written and directed by Gavin Rothery. Hold on there. Before we go any further, this is your warning, 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 warning. warning. <laughs> Turn back now if stop, you haven't seen stop. this film. We're going to be going through all the spoilers. Watch the film. Tune back in. Please come back. And you definitely come back. <laughs> it's worth it. It totally is. And then listen to what we have to say. For sure. So there's your advance warning. So yeah. now you've seen the film and we're on to Archive. Archive is about an abandoned military Japanese base where a lone scientist works tirelessly on creating a true human equivalent AI to reconnect with his lost love. But when the outside forces close in, he realises the true problems he may encounter with his technology. What was your number one takeaway from Archive, Sorry. My number one takeaway from Archive is that in previous movies about AI, we've worried about as humans being replaced by advanced AI that is just better than us. Yes. It it occurs to me, thanks to this film, that earlier models of AI might itself be concerned about being replaced <laughs> by better models of AI. Very true, very in, true. In this film, it's, it's quite good. The, uh, the creator who's going along doing his creation of uh, AI, he's mm. on to his third iteration. So the first two are still sitting there while he's creating the third. Yeah. And the second one, the one in the middle there, is smart enough to realize that the third one is a more advanced AI. Yeah. That's and it's, isn't it? yeah. And it's got this little sad B story where uh, this, this poor AI realizes that she's going to be replaced or she's not good enough. Mm. She, she's actually <laughs> advanced enough to have those feelings of inadequacy. Yeah. And there's something I honestly hadn't really thought about when we talk about AI, the singularity and, and humans mm. becoming obsolete, is that earlier generations of AI may itself realize that it's making it, it's becoming obsolete or going to be made obsolete. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it, this is a really cool movie to watch after we looked at Extinction in that, you know, the AI in Extinction doesn't really realise it's AI, like it's blocked out the memories, right? So it feels like it's so human that it's forgotten it is AI. So so I, I like this this concept again here is that, again, it's pushing that element of AI to another realm, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's going to, I, th I suppose it's sort of showing the AI as uh, its own thought processes during the process of 
advancement. Mm. And it's interesting. interesting to think of maybe imagine the Terminator movie where a Terminator <laughs> is sent back in time not to destroy the mother of the resistance leader but to destroy an earlier version of AI that itself is, you know, going to be the saviour. <laughs> So you could imagine you see they go, oh no, this robot's come back to kill you, <laughs> and the ro- and the robot goes, oh, I'm not here to kill you. You humans, you die of old age. That's not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're here to kill that uh, uh, that that the laptop over the, the yeah. iMac you've got on your desk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or does 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 Arnie want to destroy the T1000 because it's just generally jealous of it <laughs> taking over the mission? Well, yeah, I mean, it's that, been that's, replaced. I think the, the T800 comes back to to protect yeah. John because he's afraid that Skynet is just too advanced. Yeah, but the other way, he doesn't care about John. He just wants to take out the other one, like yeah. from a pure jealousy point of view. Yeah, I, and <laughs> I want to complete the mission, not you. <laughs> and I, I, I love that in this film. There, yeah, it's you a cool. Sort way. Of, I really sort of felt for this um, teenage mm. J-Bot that yeah, felt. Felt like she was being a little bit left out. Yes, she was not so useless, useful, because the, the younger one was not advanced enough, I think, to really be like yeah, too did. concerned about that. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it was, it was armless. Yeah, and totally, it was a totally toddler armless. sort of idea, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but here's here's another question then for you: Was this hope warning or experiment? Because I thought about this as going through it, and I wasn't sure. So, what's your take? Warning. Warning. So we've already said warning to watch watch the film before listening to us, but yeah, this is a cautionary tale, and I think it's really <laughs> spelt out in that the actual like we've got AI in this film, but that actual concept of taking someone's data and storing it for the afterworld, the afterlife, and then for people to be able to speak to them for two is it two hundred hours or something? I think is yeah, two hundred times or two hundred hours. I think you yeah. know something like that, and then it diminishes. I liked how it diminished. But in the film, we have, um, you know, the wife character being questioned about being recorded and kept in this device, and she actually decides that she would not like it. And we're kind of alluded in this film, and that's the thing with the big twist in this film, which is a great sci-fi twist. This film is really a classic sci-fi because it's this real world-building scenario but then the twist is the whole thing's in his brain and he's actually been in this data bank and it's going downhill, right? So that's a really cool sci-fi classic twist, I reckon. So I, I really enjoyed this film. But to me, it's a warning sci-fi because he he sort of says to his wife, oh, this would be great. And if she reluctantly sort of goes, yeah. And then later in the film, she's like, no, I don't, I don't want it. I just really honestly don't want to be go through that process. And then it turns out that he is the one that's dead and he's in that process. And then when he's realising and the world that has been built in the whole film is crumbling because, in fact, he is dying. Like no, his, his data it, bank is ending. He's running out of his Suddenly, time. Suddenly it's like, well was that a real blessing? Like, cause he felt like he was in that world building AIs, trying to talk to his wife. It was kind of like a nightmare, wasn't it really in a way? So I saw it as a complete warning. That, that's why I fell down on here. It's definitely not hope. I thought warning, cause the old warnings tend to be where our own creations turn against us mm. and, and we have to uh, try to survive that, or you know, deal with that in some yeah. way. Yeah, the Frankenstein's monster is yeah. the the warning. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, you're playing with life, 
But what happens if your life is not too happy about being played with? Yeah. And th- and this is a similar thing where they've he's created uh, you know AI mm. and or humanity has created this somnolent somnolent somnolent. <laughs> mm, that's a hard word to say. It turns out this archive, which is kind of works against humans, mm. like because yeah. we're from the point of view of a dead dude. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, finding that his his life is becoming more of a struggle. His goals are becoming harder to achieve. Yeah. And that's our own, you know, his own creation or our own making. Mm. I, th- I think it's, this film reminded me of Twilight Zone. It, it was um, definitely a Twilight you know, Zone type thing uh, or a Black Mirror. Black Mirror is the other thing or Tales from the Crypt, which I know is more horror, but you, you could see it that is in like it's a set up a scenario that then as an audience we're alluded to that's the truth and then there's this great twist to it and in fact when you really think about the twist you're like oh so the whole thing he's dead he's trapped in that data bank what even is that data bank like really it's like some sort of download of our brain isn't it you know um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's a warning, but if you're out there and you've watched it, let us know what you thought. Is it a warning? Is it a hope? Did you see some hope in there? There is a good sort of, you know, love and jealousy factor of this film, or is it a experiment? So is this the first time you watched it? First time I watched it. I, and what I, was your impression? My impression your was first it, it's, impression. It's, it was very, um, we call it moody and artistic. Yep. So there's there's a lot of strong theme use here. The the waterfall rushing. Mm. I was and I was trying to decode it because you you look at that and you go why has why has the director chosen uh, a really sort of pale washed out world? Yeah. But the uh, so there's no greens and almost no blues and things. But he the main character wears red and you mm. see these red things and and inside the bunker if you like. There's quite um, there's little touches of green mm. and his red and yellow suit that he wears. Yeah, but outside it's all white and it's mm. cold and it's empty. It's pretty bleak. And there's that um, bridge that he can control, and the the waterfall constantly this rushing mm. waterfall. And even before the before the twist, I was looking at that going, well, you know. The the waterfall it's it's always being shot from a bit of an angle. There's sort of a yeah. it's never a straight on you know panorama. It's all sort of over the head, over top, or coming in from the side or something like that. And I, I thought, well, that's that must be his time running out. Mm. You, know, you can't get it back because he keeps recalling his wife and the car accident and yeah. uh, his various conversations, and it's like you can't. You can't recover that, even though he's trying to create this AI yeah. that's going to house his wife. It's yeah, you know, the, the waterfall is it's just continuously washing over. As the waterfall's over, you're not putting it back at the top. Yeah, it's it's done. It's gone. Uh-huh. And yeah. so I was, I was sort of seeing that, and I was and I was liking that, and I was liking this this bleak outside when he was away from his uh, his project. Mm. It was just cold and white and still. Yeah. And then, reminded me a lot of The Shining, actually. You know that sort of like it, it's a film that made makes you feel cold. Yes, yes. The, the Shining, particularly when that is out uh, with the toperies and things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was what I was sort of getting. There's a lot of mm. there's a lot of sort of slow scenes, um, a lot of cameras swapping around to showing life through uh, camera feeds. Mm. 
rather than like, although it's not a direct camera feed. So we're not looking through the camera. We're looking through a camera, looking at a screen <laughs> of a camera. Mm. So it's kind of this indirect. So in fact, when it was revealed that, it, when it started to show that perhaps he was the one yeah. in the archive, it, it started to fall into place that we're getting these kind of indirect look at what he's doing, what's mm. going on. Yep. And and continuous sort of his memories replaying and so forth. So and and a lot of like you just said the that that footage was was grainy and and shaky and and breaking. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, I was, and, and I when when it started and that was like I'm like I actually had the thought I'm like why in some of these sci-fi films do they do that? Like I get he's supposed he's he's going oh, this place has fallen apart. Like I'm here to fix it because yeah. that was part of the setup. But I was like oh, a, a, a sophisticated military base or whatever science base like that this is the surveillance footage would probably be perfectly crisp clear video and it, it had a very lo-fi <laughs> like, feel the whole yeah, yeah. base like and it looked it reminded me immediately of aliens yeah yeah and uh blade runner yes. yeah in fact the yeah. opening music i thought sounded very vangelis yeah, right. very yeah. very blade runner that sort mm. of um electronica yeah. and then the uh green and black display showing videos mm. and like you i was thinking it's a strange aesthetic, isn't it? Mm. That and it's very common. Yeah, it is in these ones. These like, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the sort of displays I have around me at the moment when I'm just recording this podcast. Yeah, and they're bright. I mean, our, our little mixer's got little lights all over it. Mm. The, the screens are showing. We've got uh, a, a green bar that wavers around, showing yeah. the audio levels. There's none of this sort of yes, it's it's, it's low, qu- low quality stuff. It, it is a filmmaker thing. Like if you're if then the film they're showing us is grainy these days in 2022, that's a filter put on top of the film grain. You know, yeah. If you go back to the 1970s and 1980s and 1990s, whilst we were still filming on film, yes, film has a natural grain to it because there's that natural product in film of silver. But when you talk about like the modern day digital, no, there's no grain. It should be crisp, clear footage. So... In a film, if you notice it, it's got you've got to start to go, oh, why has the filmmaker done that? You know, like why mm. is it grainy? And when this twist happens at the end, my brain was like, ah, because they, you know, they, they explain that the data storage does break down over time as you're getting closer to that final phone call. And it, so to me, it sort of made sense that he's the whole facility that he was in, we were alluded to was kind of breaking down the whole way. Mm. And it was cleverly done because we were told that he was in this facility to kind of fix it up. It was an old abandoned science lab or whatever. So he, that's explained to us and we believe that. But I, but And then when the twist happens, you're like, oh, it's like that because that's how his brain is interpreting breaking down. Yeah. You know? So I thought that was a really clever motive that is explained in the narrative but revealed in a really clever way. So did, did you have any science fiction in this fiction of science that you liked? <laughs> well, the AIs were cool. It was great that in this particular context we had the little toddler AI reminded me of when I had little toddlers. You know, it didn't talk, didn't have arms. <laughs> when he gets in the rain, he's like, come back in the, you know, you can't get wet, you know. And and then even the teenage AI, I thought that was a really clever way because it, it reminded me a bit of I Am Mother that, it was very. It was you had this very emotional but very robotic look. You know, when, when you get mm. the J three version, it's a woman. It's like the machine. Yeah. You know, last week with extinction, or last episode, sorry, with extinction. You know, that they're, they're people. They're humans. You know, in, in Alien, 
you know, Lance looks like a, a human, you know. Yeah. Um, but when you get this kind of that real more square, solid-looking robot, but then she was so emotional, J2, you know, and yeah. J1 was so toddler-like. So I just, I really liked that Gavin in this story has taken the AI and just gone, yeah, well, let's, you, you know, we've talked to you, have talked a lot about the science over previous episodes of Space Brains of AI and the, you know, the becoming human or becoming more than human chappy, you know, but I liked that he really embedded that emotion. And in fact, actually, it's probably similar to Chappie that way, isn't it? Like Chappie had that attitude and he was trying to figure himself out. He was a toddler. Yeah. And he was, but he was getting smarter by the minute. So it's pretty cool in this film that, you know, it's like, oh, here's a robot I built the best, the best he could, but then he's like advanced it with J2 and then he's advanced it. And he explains to us about 20 minutes, 25 minutes into the film or whatever that, yeah, J1 is kind of like a stop developing the brain at three or four and whereas J2 is more like around teenagehood and then whereas J3, you've kind of got the full human consciousness going on, you know, in the brain of the robot. So I think that science was cool. Like that was a really cool sci-fi science. Yeah, it was very good the way they broke it, these three interpretations of the one sort of character. Mm. But I, I quite liked... There was this one scene where uh, J3 gets all of her fake flesh blasted off mm. and goes through this, you know, is in it's liquid cool and is being rebuilt and so forth. Yeah. But it's that last moment where she rises up out of liquid and there's sort of a film over yeah. liquid and that film sort of wraps around her. So it's yeah. like uh, if you ever watch those YouTube or, or TikToks of um, what do they call it, uh, uh, immersion transfers, I can't remember what they call them now. The, the idea is you actually have a tub of water with like a uh, a, a print or you put paint or something oh, okay. on the surface. Yeah, yeah. And so it's an oil-based paint, for example, yeah. and then you put your item that you want to paint, uh, yeah. dip it in, yeah. and so because it's on the water, it wraps it perfectly around it. Right. So you can get these uh, strangely shaped objects like helmets and guitars and, yeah. you know, car parts and things which would be very difficult to paint a particular image on, mm. but you get the image or pattern floating on the water and then you sort of dunk it, it in <laughs> and the water makes it wrap seamlessly. Yes. You, know, you don't get wrinkles or anything like that if you do it properly. And I, I, I liked that idea of that they're wrapping the final layer of skin on this android mm. by raising up through For the sure. water and that means that as it comes up out of the water, it sort of just wraps smoothly around. There's yeah. no air bubbles or, or wrinkles forming. I, I just thought that was like a... A good solution to because I've seen previous ones where they do like a, a spray booth type effect yeah. where they sort of spray the skin on. This one was quite nice. Yeah, a little bit similar to the machine, I think, by memory. The machine she sort of came out of like it was a filling up of a yeah, yeah thing, that, wasn't that, it? And then that, that like almost like that uh, she was in a like a latex late, and gimp then, suit yeah. sort of thing, <laughs> and but they pumped it full it. of stuff. Yeah, and yeah. then that got ripped off. You know, like so. Yeah. Um, I, I I liked that scene. I think that was a really cool little montage of when he activates the actual, yeah, skin and. It would have made a good side. music video yes. for something <laughs> for sure. Um, and why is this a sci-fi film then? Sorry, uh, it does explore. It has obviously got science fiction elements. It's got uh, you know androids and robots and artificial intelligence and things, but more than that, it's also exploring that. 
human interaction of it and the exploration of how humans would navigate that science fiction. And if you pulled the, uh, you tried to pull the science fictiony parts out of this, mm. because it's basically about a guy who's dead dealing with his situation, uh, it kind of wouldn't, you'd have to go, I suppose you could go fantasy, yep. but, but you couldn't just pull the science fiction out without no. putting in like, spiritualism or, or yeah. magic or something. Yeah. Uh, so that and, and that way I think it's a science fiction because we're we're exploring that psychology through uh, an extreme use of science that's yeah. pushed into it, that sort of fantastical element there in order to be able to set up the scenario and allow uh, a, the warning to mm. play out. And it has a couple of those sci-fi elements, as you said, that if you removed would be the story wouldn't quite work. You'd have to implement those other bits. That data, the data bank idea, yeah, you know, like that explains how it works. And then the type of AI is a whole another level of AI again. So you remove those bits, the story just wouldn't really work. No, it would, it would be too fanciful. Like it would yeah. be, it'd be one of these sort of really, really art house spiritual fantasy sort of films that you're kind of looking at going, I don't quite Yeah, how is he talking and how does it work? You'd have to have have too much description of magic and things in there. (laughs) And it'd be a different film. That's the thing. So, yeah. But let us know what you thought. Is this a science fiction film? We think so. Have you been up to anything science fiction-wise or creative-wise since the last oh. episode? Sorry, or what's what are your plans coming up? Well, uh, well, creative-wise, I have been playing with uh, video mm-hmm. uh, camera switching, so because yeah. uh, as we've mentioned before, we are getting close now to introducing a video Ooh. version. Yes, of this, you'll uh, be able to see us, see us <laughs> um, whilst we record. Yeah, and and thinking about other ways we can. Provide, uh, yeah, useful input that people might sure. like to, people like might to see, say, some of the process of how, how you put together a a board for your plotting of film, mm. uh, and you know maybe, maybe there's someone would care to know how I, how I what sort of edits I do on the audio, yeah, of this yeah. podcast to sort of get it working. How do we do the Space Brains podcast overall? You know, those yeah. kind of things. All yeah. those sorts of things. So yeah. so there's all of that sort of thing. And then um, other sort of plans, I am, I am oh, too many plans, so many plans <laughs> that, that none of them are going to get done. You've got so to pick I, one. So I said, oh, we'll have to pick one and we'll yeah. get back to you on that. Okay, fair enough. How about, how about you? You're, you're, you're looking at doing a, another short film this, yes, this so six months? Haven't, haven't progressed that much since our last recording, but um, definitely I said last time, uh, cleaning the slate from our awesome inaugural sci-fi film festival that happened now three weeks ago. Uh, just kind of clearing out, you know, looking at the aftermath. We've got the awesome video that's about to be launched or maybe by the time this episode's out it will be available from the day. So if you came, you might be able to see yourself in the video. Uh, so keep, a, keep your eyes peeled for that across the socials. But, yeah, p- pretty much planning to make a short and also get back into the writing, like you just mentioned, using the board and getting back into that writing concept. So I uh, had another person reach out the other night interested in producing something. So that might lead to an error, you know, might lead to something positive. So producers are good, always need a producer, need money. So <laughs> so uh, if you're a producer out there, yeah, get in touch. Um, but yeah, the so at the exciting part, I feel because it's that, blank page and I know that some writers 
feel that's very daunting and there's lots of information. I mean, just Google writer's block. I know you might know something about writer's block too, sorry. But for me, writer's block is actually not the problem. It's kind of a little bit the other way. Like I have lot, like like you just said, like I have lots of ideas and it's more picking the right one because I know that when I pick one, I have to then, and I know this was an expression, I don't know who it came from now, but like you've got to kind of like kill the other babies. And what that means is like you pick the one baby and you're going to put a lot of tension and effort into that one story and all your other ideas kind of have to go to the wayside for the moment. I hope your kids don't hear this podcast. <laughs> Nothing to do with children, all metaphors to do with stories. So I remember that um, even over the last couple of years I've had to, you know, I've, I've get, I get ideas. I'm very good at getting ideas, whatever that means, whether it comes from the universe or, you know, aliens or the future or it's just purely my imagination but I get dumped an idea and so I've I've learned about five years ago to definitely record that idea in its roughest form so if you've got a pen and paper quickly get down as much as of it as you can in that moment and then when you've when you've exhausted that creative energy and you're just in your normal day-to-day, you know, moments on the train, for example, or or just, you know, you're not feeling creative, you're tired from your work, that's then the time to just kind of like, oh, I'll just type that up. You know what I mean? And and all you're doing is recording it. And so that's kind of your first sort of real crude effort. And that might be anything from a paragraph to a page to, you know, whatever. Um, And and actually a really cool technique now, which I like, is voice-to-text. So yes. I don't really send that apart from to sorry, I send a few voice messages, but just to annoy him, but I don't really use voice messages, but I mean voice to text. So you just talk a story into your phone or into your computer or whatever. That technology has really come a long way now. And so that's a good way to quickly get some words onto the page. Um, and then coming back to it later and just going, yeah, that's the right little one I'm going to run with, or I'm not going to run with that idea. Yeah. So a really long answer to your question. At the moment, I don't know what that, which one I'm picking, but I've definitely got the plans, and they're gonna, they're gonna snowball pretty quickly. I think over this next month. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so what we're gonna do now is we're gonna get stuck into this film, yeah. and we're gonna Archive. talk about a bit of the the plot and the way it progresses. We're talking about some of the symbolism, and I think I mentioned a couple of things there. But there's camera and lighting and sound editing all sorts of little bits and pieces that go on into a film to make it really groovy. And we're going to go over it. But first of all, a brief overview of the cast and crew. So it was directed and written by Gavin Rothery. That's a nice bit of work there, Gav. Yeah, UK filmmaker. He has to be on with a name like Gav. (laughs) Gav. Hey, Gav, Gav. (laughs) Sorry, Gavin. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, Gavin. We could go down that way, but yeah, well... Uh, we, we've got some stars. So we've got Theo James is George. He's the main character. He also uh, was a producer of this, so he poured a bit of money into it or, you know, operated because he started his own production company in the last couple of years. You might know Theo from the Divergent Insurgent oh, really? world. Yeah. He's, he plays a big character in that. And he's also in Underworld, um, oh, yes. the Kate Beckinsale sort of horror film. Uh, and, yeah, he's been he's a pretty... Solid working UK, you know, US actor. And then we have Stacey Martin is Jules yep. uh, and J3. That's George's wife. Yeah. Martin also does the voice for, of course, J2. Mm. Uh, would do the voice for J1, but there's there not no much voice. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> As I'm doing the voice for R2-D2, you know. Yeah. 
beeps and whistles. Should still get a credit, but if you do that, but they might have used sound effects. I don't know. No, it's like I was, I was looking at this <laughs> computer game, Left 4 Dead, which is a zombie game, mm. and it's uh, the the voices of the zombies. They don't make any actual voice. They just make you know growly, grumbling noises. That's Oh, that's credit to Mike Patton from yes. Faith No More. <laughs> they, yeah. He just did all these snarls and growls and whatever. And, awesome. and they, he said he gets his credit Love for it. Love a bit of Mike it's Patton. Like a bit overqualified for yeah. making zombie noises, but there you go. Hey, he earned his wage that day. That's all right. Keeps yeah. him in the creative space. Rona Mitra as Simone. Uh, that's the VP of International Development of Artisan Robotics. Yeah, hmm. yeah, interesting in watching this, I was bit confused by her going, what, who is this woman? What she keeps talking about mm. stuff and none of it made much sense as to what she's talking about. Makes yes. sense when you watch the film. Yeah. Uh, Peter Ferd- Ferdinando, Mr. Tug, not that he spoke like that. <laughs> Richard Glover as Melvin and Hans Peterson as Elsa and we've got Leah Williams as the voice system of George's house. Imagine doing that. Okay, you've got yeah, a... Sorry. Audition for your part and you say, okay, this is your part you're going to doing. Oh, what am I? You're a house. Mm. What's my motivation? <laughs> you well, house I mean, that was Gary um, Oldman, wasn't it? Gary I mean, he's a big actor and he, yeah, he did awesome as the towel, the house. But at least Tao had a motivation. I mean, this yeah, house doesn't really. This house, no, this is just <laughs> Toby this is Jones. Yeah. And this was filmed in Budapest, yeah. uh, not in Japan. No. Oddly enough. No. Uh, I didn't, you know, I've not been to Japan, but I... I don't know if I felt like this was Japan. No, it. it I don't, I, but I don't know. I, I don't know what feeling, it was. <laughs> it felt more like Iceland. Yeah, me too. I think maybe that's just the coloration yeah. used there. It, yeah. it, there were too many trees for the usual Iceland sort of scenes, but the cliff and the running water and the color I don't know, was just something about it didn't feel like Japan to me. But and it isn't really Japan because it's in his head. <laughs> It's in his, maybe this guy's never, he's never been to Japan. That's right, and so yeah. this is what he, you know, Budapest is actually what he imagines Japan to look like. That's right. Uh, so this didn't really do much in the way of a box office. It's, it's a streamer's delight, this one. Well, yeah, looking looking into it, sorry, um, it unfortunately had, they had a cinema release planned uh, for 2020 and um, I think it was going to start at the really big festival, South by Southwest was going to have its premiere and COVID just annihilated it, you know. Mm. And actually, in fact, trying to sort of trying to look into this film a bit research-wise, um, it did feel that a little bit online. Like you know, there's a release, there's an IMDb, there's but there's not much else out there about archives. So I do wonder if, unfortunately, co- this is one of those films that was obviously probably released right at that beginning bit of COVID mm. and just kind of the producers cut their losses and because I, I know that so. some films had got advantage. A little bit deeper into COVID, yeah. where all the like the really There's big box, box yeah. office blockbusters got pulled. You know, the James yeah. Bonds, the the Star Warsy stuff, the Harry Pottery stuff, mm. all that got pulled for the Christmas release at the end of twenty twenty. Yep, which made room for a lot of smaller films, yeah, which yeah. otherwise would never have seen the light of day. Certainly not the sort of cinema release they got. Yeah. So and there were some o- that won, and some that just didn't. Yeah, I remember Occupation, Rainfall, Rainfall. Um, that's what Luke was was kind of you know it was on that window where there wasn't any blockbusters because of COVID, mm, and, and, he, he, and he sort of managed to get it into the cinemas because the cinemas were kind of going yeah we need something in we Australia. Should, so. We should ask him uh, yeah. how his cinema run run went. Yes. Whether he got the screens that he wanted. Well, or... He's making another one, so oh, I think the producers obviously happy. He's you know. doing that uh, series as well, like a yeah, series he's doing based a series, on a book. Plus, he's got a he's got a much lower budget horror that's all been signed up. A couple of big actors and. 
occupation, the next occupation has another couple of bigger actors from the US that they've already signed up. So oh, cool. Yeah, he's he's put out that, and he's also started. We should give him a shout. He's also started a Patreon page. For himself, so if you're into the whole occupation he series was, and want to learn a bit more, he's about independently, it. privately yeah, funded. Yeah, he's privately funded. So anyway, we're diverging, but yes. yeah, unfortunately, this was one that I think they kind of flogged it off to Netflix and that just to probably try to make some money back because that because COVID kind of wiped out the cinema. Well, we got so. lucky in that case because we got to watch it. Yes, we did, and and it is available very easily on Netflix. If we get a chance to speak into to Gavin, um, maybe he can fill us in a bit on that. Or Theo, being an executive producer, um, they could let us know maybe a bit about what happened with that, you know, and why they went on to the streamers so quickly. Yeah. So we do like to break our narrative down into some common elements that you can find from all good story and script writing teachers, people like Campbell, Snyder, McPhee and Field, uh, where there's a really clear three-act structure I do personally feel that with feature films, you should have that three-act structure. You know, you look at a short film, it's going to probably just be like a one-act, you know, a, a problem and, you know, it needs to be solved and a resolution. Hmm. But with this, you've got these three-act structure which have a lot of specific moments, scenes, beats, you know, ups and downs for the key characters to take the audience on the journey. What happens in Act 1, sorry? Act 1, we get the introduction to the characters, their problems, the world. We will see what... Um, and what we expect to see is a an image that displays what everything is like. You know, what's what are we going to start from? Mm. And that's, that's what we want to see. And we want to see it pretty quickly. Yep. And often we get a lot of establishing shots. We get a lot of uh, swooping, flying-in shots. You think of like... Uh, Forest Gump, it starts following a feather or something. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And, and it, it really just zooms through this world and you immediately get that slightly fairy tale feeling mm. when a little bit whimsical as this feather gets you know, blown around by the wind and the camera follows it through. So that's a great little setup there. You, you don't think, oh, this is not going to be a horror film. <laughs> this is not going to be an action film. Although there yeah. is some action in there, you know, it's, yeah, you it's go, it's not quite a comedy, but it's definitely not a serious film. Yeah. Yeah, it sets you up really well. So we we meet the characters and what their problems are. Now, the first really important point here is the catalyst or mm. the inciting incident, or as I like to think of it, this is this is the moment the audience realizes what the film is about. Yeah, even if they don't really know what it's about, about mm-hmm. they go, "This is where the story's going. I know now. I've got a direction," and the the uh, catalyst has to follow be followed by. Uh, discussion and a debate. So we can't have a, uh, you know, a, a meteor is, we discover a meteor is going to strike the earth and then everyone just immediately launches into action to stop it. Yeah. Because that it doesn't, you know, that's going straight to act three. Yeah. We, yeah. We're, we're skipping stuff here. So you need to have, you introduce a few of these concepts of, oh, well, hang on, one lot of people think that this is God's will and we mm. should allow it and you yeah. should just make peace. Other people think we should send, you know, people up and stop it. So there's you, a debate. You have a bit of a debate, yeah. which allows us to set the scene for Act 2, mm. which we break into quite nicely. And what is Act 2? 
Yeah, so you, the characters have made that decision from the debate and that leads them on this journey. We quite often call that the start of the Act 2 fun and games. So it's the trailer, it's the scenario, as you said, of an asteroid is coming. It's the it's now the what do the religious spiritual people do to prove to other people that we should let the asteroid come? It's an act of God. And what do the scientists do? They start inventing bombs and satellites and lasers and little robots, whatever, to to go up and they're going to shoot or they're going to shoot Bruce Willis up into space and he's going to, you know, detonate something on this asteroid, right? So we've got, that's the fun and games. And as an audience, this is why we say it's like the trailer, this bit, because Essentially, you've been given that nice setup and then you're going, ah, okay, yeah, how are they going to defeat this asteroid? And they're going to give us some options. Um, so that's the fun and games. And, and they play around with that and there's a whole bunch of scenes. And then at some moment, it might feel like, oh, this has suddenly gotten a bit real. And so, you know, the spiritual people actually attack the scientists and destroy their laser, right? And so the scientists now don't have the thing they've just worked on, which was actually going to work, you know, and get rid of the asteroid. And so quite often that's what happens in the middle of these stories in films, and that's what we call a midpoint, essentially right bang in the middle somewhere. Um, And they tend to be like that. They tend to be a little bit of a downer or there's a victory that has some problems to it where the character thinks they've won, but they haven't. So that tends to be the midpoint. From there, it is a bit of a downhill slope for the key character. So things they thought were going to work just don't work out now. And so maybe in that context, the laser's been destroyed, but now the president doesn't want to give them any more money and fund it anymore. And and maybe the head military have given up and, the, and everyone's run back home to just spend the last days on Earth with their families. So the scientist is now totally lost and doesn't really have anything left in the tank. And this is where we get those kind of moments like we're sitting on the side of the road and we've got no money and it's raining and we've just lost our job or our lover or whatever, and we're kind of like willing to give up on hope. And things might die, someone might die, something might die, the plan is over. And in that moment, the scientist in this context goes, yeah, but I've been, I did all this work and I've done it and the laser would have, oh, is there some other, oh, hey, the thing I've been learning all along is actually the wrong, I've got to bring in some faith and some science no. and now I've got a new plan and I don't need the money and I don't need the president and I don't need the military. All I need is sort of the stuff that I've been putting together and now I've got a final plan and jump into Act 3. Act 3. Act 3 is called the finale, of course, as you'd expect. And you, you just know that this starts off with that, you know, getting all the gear together, getting yeah. the gang back. Mm launching into the hope and, and it raises you up. But, w- well, it would be a little bit sad, I suppose. Well, not sad. It would be disappointing if it just worked. Yeah. It never quite works. <laughs> never quite the way, gets not, there. not quite yeah. because there's always some sort of a, a hang-up which yeah. causes uh, what I um, is, is called, like, say, a reversal. Mm. So you've got the finale, uh, you've got the reversal, and then that requires the real um, resolution of the theme. Mm. You've got to pull together that last bit of uh, knowledge or inspiration that mm. was learnt through yes. the film and that that's how you, you drive it home. And if you've done the film well, it should feel natural. If you've done it 
a little bit like I might do it, it'll be a bit heavy-handed and on the nose and you'll kind of go, well, yes, the real monsters are humans. You know, like <laughs> it's it's a bit obvious, but it should should get you through to this final uh, victory or final loss or final resolution, yeah. which gives you the final image. Yeah. And this is almost... Um, usually a sort of a, an opposite or an equivalency to the opening, mm, like so that ends. you can do a contrast. You can yeah. go uh, in the opening, it was like this, and in the end it's like the similar, but there's, oh, there's this difference. Mm. So in the first one, this guy is walking by himself on the beach, and in the end he's walking by himself, and then the dog he, he rescued comes running up next mm. to him and he pats it on the head and you go, oh, he's no longer sad. Or if it's like archive the three little robots are following him. Yeah, the three little <laughs> robots get stuck in the sand and yeah. walk off into the water or yeah, something right. terrible. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's it. And and that uh, final image is what is going to leave you feeling satisfied yes. at the, the end. The finale is kind of the woohoo, they've kicked a goal, and the final image is like, ah, that was nice. Yeah, it's good. And, and you walk out of the cinema with something to talk about. So this film starts very bleak. He's George, our key character, is isolated. We've got some <laughs> lovely drone shots rolling through this lack of colour, as you mentioned mm. earlier. It's a very white, bleak forest. Um, we have this man running through, jogging. Um, to me, straight away, and the film kind of kept doing is it felt like The Shining to me where Jack is up in the mountains you know all by himself like it felt very isolating you know um and yeah and and we sort of the shots here are very drone-like shots they're a bit alien as well as in you know not aliens but as a camera they're they're very um like there's one shot that is totally above george looking down very traditional drone but then there's also like just kind of going through the forest at maybe three quarters the height of trees so there's kind of a very unique mm. version of what we're being shown with the world here. Um, it's snowing, it's white, it's lack of colour. Um, you know, so you, you are brought into this pretty bleak sort of isolating world. And then we get little shots of an in, inside of a bunker, which, again, it had a bit of a, a lo-fi sort of 80s almost mm. feel to it. It felt, you know, some of the screens and displays, I got that Aliens feel, yeah. which was an 89 film, yep. I think. And so it was that green and black sort of look. Uh, it's sort of got um, electronic music, which again felt a little bit retro. Yep. Uh, for a film that you're expecting is going to be into fairly advanced science, it felt, it looked almost like, an, you know, a throwback to a late 80s, early 90s science fiction. Yeah, the the art design of the actual place is really great, though, isn't it? Like the yeah. like as you said, it's like Alien or Aliens. It's but it, to me, it looks really schmicko. You know, it's giving us that retro feel, but the design quality was really yeah. through the roof, and it, it looked large. You know, that's always the trick in these things, isn't it? It's not just one corridor that you change the camera left to right and it's the same corridor. It's it's it it looked very much like a large studio space and. So it was very impressive. I liked the way it jutted out over the cliffs, very Frank yeah. Lloyd Wright sort of <laughs> melding, melding into the environment, but it sort of had that brutalist you know, upper section, which is the concrete slabs with a radio tower on it. it was, yeah. It, uh, it appealed to me in, as a, um, an almost mix between 
uh, I'm going to settle into this environment, mm. but I'm also actually going to be very different to this environment. For sure, yeah. So that's kind of that the the opening. We're getting into a bit of the setup. So we've got this guy, George, sort of a pretty young guy, maybe in his thirties or something, and he's a he's been running. He's pretty fit. He's working on this base uh, that we've been describing. Um, it seems like he's, he's very quickly was introduced to this sort of J1 robot and this J2 robot. They seem very sophisticated, so, sorry, mm. sophisticated AI. He's talking to them at J2 is very much responding. And the way he's talking to them is, is very different to see some of the other AI that we've watched. It, it was a bit like Chappie, like he's actually having a conversation. Yeah, it's with conversational, them. isn't yeah. it? Um, and I think maybe that's the thing with the house voice that was more like robotics as we know today. Yeah, like he a would just gave just orders, gave orders yeah. and that responded. The house responded. Whereas J two in particular, he was having these actual conversations with and them. reassuring her. Yep, which is nice. we also have footage of a woman, and it's the it's telling us the you know it's running this grainy footage of this. It's oh, what was the wording? Something like candidate, um, candidate. Um, uh, yeah, suitable candidates. Okay, that's it. I think that's what I was saying. Yeah, so we're kind of being implied to that. Um, we do have a bit of a flash here in the setup of him driving his car with his with this woman. Yeah. So we see that his woman and 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 they're just having a com- like a quick conversation. There's not much to that scene. It's a scene that then gets repeated and yeah. kind of shown in different ways. Yeah. And, yeah, throughout the film. Um, and uh, yeah, we we also through the robots, <clears throat> he makes his phone call to this box, which is his wife's met download memory mm. or something. Where, again, we're not explained at all here, but he has this weird incoming message from her, and you see this little again quite distorted little tablet screen of her in the dark and. She's saying, I don't really want to do this anymore. Yeah, how long is this going to go on for? Yeah, it's going on and I don't want to keep doing it. Um, I think I I immediately, because we we talk about, I don't think we have really talked too much about it, but you got uh, tropes in films. And so this one here, immediately he's sitting there, he's dealing with AI, he's he's clearly working on some sort of a project. Mm. And as soon as you get that conversation in a car, you know his wife's dead. Yeah. You know, it was a car accident. Mm. The only question is, was it really his fault? Was because usually it's he's drink driving, yeah. or he's, or they have an argument. The last minute thing they have is an argument, and yeah. he feels guilt. So you sort of know when she calls up on this box, you go, without being told, yeah. oh, okay, you, you this do is connect it. This is that whole his dead wife. This mm. must be his dead wife recording. You know, the whole suitable candidate and yeah. all those other bits and pieces going on, and these other robots there. Mm. Yeah, you just kind of. No, without having been told yep. that that's the situation, and it is. and the writer is relying, I think, on these, um, yeah, these, these yeah. established um, ways of presenting information, these tropes. Yeah, I mean, bringing back someone from the dead, a scientist trying to implement his wife's death or something. You know, like you can start to put it together. Um, and that that first ride in the car. Um, they're they're happy, like it's a happy kind of moment in the car, isn't yes. it? That very first scene. Um, so so we know these had this relationship um, very quickly. So that's kind of the setup, and then and then just as we get into the the catalyst, he does have a phone call with his boss um, that we mentioned before, uh, Leah. No, 
Rona, 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 Mitra. Yes, um, Simone. Simone, Simone, the VP. And we get this kind of video call. He, he also reluctant. So this is also showing us like he's there doing something at this this place, but he's he's like reluctant to speak to her. Oh, it's a conference mm. call. She comes on really heavy-handed that there's like security clearance problems and, yeah, there's not much like the company wants to see more of the work. Yeah. How, how is it all coming along? Um, yeah, you get the impression that something is closing in. There's a time limit. He's got a three-year contract. He said he's on this contract, and but mm. it's running out, and and she's like, it doesn't work the way. I, I remember feeling a little bit confused, mm. not totally, but sort of like, I oh, this seems there seems to be some sort of something out of place here. Yeah. Like there's something about the world that's not really explained, and it, it never gets explained. Like no. she talks about these. Something or other have been, you know, there's a security two clearance. rocks have been captured or something. Yeah. That could be anywhere. And you're like, oh, is this some sort of criminal gang or yeah. like what on earth is this? And it, and it never goes, you know, and as I went through the film, I was going, wow, that just seems a bit scattered. Is Of course, when it's revealed that, yeah, he's in his own little death box, you kind of get the impression, okay, then this might actually is just the way his brain is interpreting its slow death. Yeah. So that leads to the catalyst. What do you think the catalyst was, Sorry, I put it down that it's so he has the scene with the um boss and then at the and then pretty much straight away it's that the J3 is ready. Like and so it's not completely ready, but he he goes and kind of switches it on and it screams. And it screams a freaking scary scream, doesn't that's, it? Yeah, because that, that was what got me is not really seeing that there was a robot because that's just like, oh, it's a bit of his work. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that the lights went red and it screamed mm. and he had to shut it off and yeah. he looked concerned. Immediately I'm thinking, ah, okay, that's his wife mm. or going to be his wife because, as again, we're relying. We haven't been told any of this. Yeah, yeah. But we're relying on expectations. Yeah, yeah. And There's a the fact, the fact a that robot. it screamed and, and freaked out and didn't have legs mm. It makes you go, oh, okay, so we're going to see uh, the development and improvement of his wife, but his wife is resisting this. Mm, yeah. Uh, and it turns out, again, as I said, the catalyst lets you know what the film's going to be about, but it, it may not be correct. Mm, and yeah. it wasn't about the fact that his wife was resisting becoming no. a robot at no. all. It was actually his resistance to giving up on life. Yeah. You know, yeah, dying or whatever we want, how we want to look at. <laughs> you see what I mean? Is yes. But that was a point. I I went. Ah, oh, okay. So we're going to have more. The fun and games I'm expecting is to do with him struggling to get this robot operational yep. under the duress of uh, a you know closing down the facility and having to keep things a bit secret. Yes. And the the there's going to be an emotional conflict between his. AI wife and himself. Yeah. And that's what I'm expecting. And and we do, in fact, see some of that yeah, in definitely. the fun games. Yeah, yeah. And J3, this latest one, is very different in terms of way more advanced, way more human looking mm. than J2 had, had a real J1. Metropolis vibe. Yeah, it did total Metropolis in that circle as exactly what I was thinking, in that sort of circle of thing. And the fact that she kind of did turn on and screech yes. at him, like it wasn't... Turning on robot on, you know, it was like yeah, any of that kind of traditional. It was like it was a horror scream that as though you were jolting someone alive, you know, um, as if you just suddenly woken up and you found you've got no legs and you're <laughs> something is sticking to your back. Yes, and you're in a place you don't recognize. Yeah, and and he and he admits that like he's like a, you know give your neurons 
time to process this. They, they've, they're working as hard as they can, mm. but you've got to give it a bit of time, you know. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting in that way. We then have this team come, this kind of creepy-looking partnership rock up. We learn that where he is, there's a bridge that has to come across the waterfall mm. kind of idea to let the cars across. Um, and we are introduced to these two characters who need to do an inspection of his wife's data bank thing. So, you know, this is where we learn that the wife did die. You yeah. know? And so I think there is a flashback here of the car and she's eating the donut and then there's the car and then it crashes. Yeah. And at the same time, we sort of see the device and they, they come and they plug it in. They also got two robot security guards yeah, who are very much in sync, and they kind of look like people, but you know, and the, and when he when they when they say to him, so the the wife's data box is just this really big fridge. Yeah, it looks like a big black fridge. Yeah, um, and they start. One guy inspects it, and he then comes back and sort of goes, "Oh, this the seal's been broken. Someone's yeah. been interfering. Someone's been tampering." And there's a bit of a standoff between George and these technicians. And even those guards kind of click in. They go, oh, it's illegal to tamper with a data bank. And he's like, no. And then he pulls sort of the idea that, well, you're on very private property. You can't, you know, come in here and sort of threaten to... Yeah, it had this like, oddly sort of cyber, what do you, what do you call it, um, cyberpunk sort of edge to it part yeah. of this film here, which is an interesting take because you had these robot guards and these guys, you're thinking... I've got a couple of technicians coming to check my, you know, pay TV cable <laughs> decoder box. Yeah. Oh, you've been tampering with your thing to get, you know, free, free channels. <laughs> like the yeah, the person inspecting will sort of go, oh, you, you can't really do that. There is a fine for that. Oh, and I might have to sign you up to the more expensive package. And you yeah. go, oh, my God, no. You, that's what, that's an extra 30 yeah. bucks a month. Don't, you know, like, but no, this one is it's illegal to be tampering with this. Mm. Yeah, okay, fair enough. And these Guys draw guns like, <laughs> oh, that's a bit more serious. Like you're going to shoot someone for tampering with a package. Mm, yeah. But then his response to that is equally sort of, this is a, a private facility and, you you know, you don't really have any jurisdiction here or something rather yeah. than this. Do you want to go against this corporation? Mm. And they back down, yeah. which again makes you feel as if he's got some sort of a life or death threat in that, you know, not just sort of, you know, you want to try and add some extra things onto my bill, yeah. you'll be talking to the ombudsman about that. <laughs> you know? Well, it goes back to when the boss sort of said these people stole data and we're stealing data back and get your AI up and running because we need to kind of present something. It's not mm. a safe world anymore. And the, the way that this technician looks back at George in that scene is a bit like, Oh yeah, do we really want to fight this company? And, yeah, is this the battle uh, we want? Yeah, it seemed like there's a, there's mystery going on there, yeah. and so Gavin's kind of kept us in the dark a bit over those details, but in a really good way. I loved the suits of the androids; they were kind of like really skinny Darth Vaders. Yeah, with um, a funny helmet thing. Yeah, so you and, and see I like that. You, you, I like that description. You just said like cyberpunk. It all felt a bit, you know, they're technicians, but they had leather. Trench coats, I think, by memory, and, yeah, and so that just seemed a bit with a silver emblem, you know. Yeah, it seemed it seemed a bit overkill for someone just coming to check your wife's fridge. <laughs> yeah, well, you think if it's such a problem, like put it on a trolley and wheel it out. Like, yeah. what, is, what are you on about? But apparently, there's something a bit mm. more to it than that. Yeah, yeah. 
And we we actually sort of see that later on. There's a, a bit a bit more of that sort of cyberpunk feeling yeah. comes into it, which uh, it's a, it's a, I'd love to talk with Gav about his direction on that one. Yes. Because yeah. it um, intrigued me as to what sort of world this George lived in. Mm. It wasn't quite so simple. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, there's obviously more going on. And, and that's the thing. We, we can say he was a bit delusional and his brain was shutting down, but... Well, he was going to go work in this facility, right? Yeah. Like, so maybe some of that was all true, like that that concept. Yeah. I, it, we just don't know. Don't, yeah. We don't really know how much of it is his brain making sense of its situation and how much uh, really was the case. Mm. Um, so he returns to J3 and, and J2. This is where we start to see J2 uh, interacting. Um, I think they have a moment here where she is is like, you know, if... J3 comes on board, am I going to be replaced? And he's George's like, no, no, we're all different and, you know, no, it's she's, a family. And, she's better. You know, she's you, not better, J, different. Yeah, and this is where, you, you know, early in the podcast you were saying, you know, it is an interesting concept that, you know, the AI actually going, you know, hang on, you're going to, what's going on here? Like you are, I can see you're building a better version. <laughs> Why don't you just use me? I, I'm very handy, you know. Mm. Um, so you see that J2's contemplating that. And from here, that's kind of like the B story is J2's, I mean, whether she loves George or not or whether it's just like she doesn't want to be replaced or she feels isolated herself. Mm. It's a really interesting sort of B well, story. Well, if she's a, a teenager, you've got to think it's that sort of feel, feelings of... Lusty feeling. No, <laughs> of of becoming an adult. You know, yeah. are, they, are they good enough... Because what's my role as a teenager? Here? You're like, uh, I'm not a kid. Yeah, you know, stop treating me like a kid. And of course, as an adult, you look and go, but you act like yeah. one. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so yeah. cliched, isn't and, it? Yeah, but but as a teenager, you want responsibility. You want to be taken seriously. Mm. Um, you just you're trying to figure out your place. You, you can't see, of course, yourself that you can't really be taken too seriously yeah. because you're still a teenager. Yeah, you, know, you you still haven't. You haven't worked through that step to yeah. the other side where you oh, but sorry. are serious. Like, <laughs> and, and I remember being in that situation myself as a, as a 14-year-old sort of um, at the time it felt very important. But now you know, looking back to it, even just a, a few years on from it, I was looking back going, yeah, no, that was like really just hanging the lush washing up on the line. <laughs> it's just what you do. Like yeah. if I want to be treated like an adult – you know what my parents were hanging the washing up in the line to? They're adults. Yeah. That's what adults do. I'm not being treated like a slave and have like, mm. you know, I want my clothes clean. Yeah. But as a teenager, of course, all these rational thoughts don't occur to you, no. you know, and you, you just kind of have these, you know, foot stomping sort of pouting moments. Yes. Yeah. And, and you don't see... The value, like that's the thing. J two gets so worked up about J three that she doesn't realize that. Yeah, they probably could have all just got along. Oh yeah, like they, he would have just had her and got her to still work and do things, which might have been quite satisfying for her. But you don't see that as a teenager. You know, that's the thing. No. You don't see the big picture. No, and and we get definitely get some fun and games here. We do yep. see the development of J three. We got yeah. a couple of uh, incremental scenes where you know she's you know a bit. Confused and you know not yeah. screaming anymore, but she's <laughs> screaming, yeah. she's struggling. Yeah, and then it, it gets a bit further where she's um, 
talking, you know, you can you can hear the sort of things she's talking about, the questions she's asking compared mm. to J2. Yeah. I go, yeah, they're like that's far more intelligent and knowledgeable depth yep. of que- question, not just, oh, she's better than me. And you're like, well, no, it doesn't work that way. Although if you think that, then it actually turns out it is true. Yeah. But only because you think that way. If you didn't think that way. Anyway, don't worry about it. It's and we have this this sort of scene of J two out near the waterfall and moping, moping. Yes, picks up <laughs> a, little, a robot, little robot, and, toy. and it has a little robot toy which it then drops and uh, you know into the water. Good bit of foreshadowing mm. there from Gavin, and you know standing there with its head all drooped, realizing. And then and then this is where you know you start. You do feel you go well. J three is way more sophisticated, but as an audience, you're like. She's also really at risk here. You know, mm. it's kind of like J2's a gorilla. Yeah. <laughs> like it could rip something apart really rapidly, couldn't it, if it wanted to? Yeah, you're, um, you're worried how powerful like those robotic how, arms yeah, are. Yeah, like how powerful actually is it? And um, you can see that she's building up some jealousy and aminosity. Aminos, oh, can't say the word. Anemone. Building up some real, you know, inside emotions here. You know, it needs an episode of Home and Away to express itself and, you know, not jump off the cliff kind of idea. Um, or is it going to push J3 off the cliff? And that that's basically what we're And, and we get that little scene, of course, where there's uh, some disturbance or other and yeah. he's running around and he, he finds... Well, that's in the midpoint. Yeah, it finds J3 up yeah. in the... In yeah. the Luggage compartment or whatever yep. it is, yeah. And J two keeps saying it was just an accident. Yes, um, and w- with that, so that that to me is the midpoint there. The only thing we jumped over is that weird sequence where he goes and meets the guy. Yeah, and this is in that again Japanese that bar. It's very, very cyberpunk. Cyberpunk, imagine, yeah. which I'm wondering is that still like this allusion to the fact that he's living inside a machine, mm. and that's sort of this. Uh, if you read like say Neuromancer, which is uh, one of their seminal cyberpunk books, yeah, it's about Entering into like an internet and dealing with AIs mm. that exist only online, yeah, uh, as intelligences. And in this, it turns up as this sort of Japanese restaurant where the waitress is talking Japanese, but it's got little mechanical robot voice translating mm. it. And the guy is security, and he's smoking a cigar. Told he can't smoke there. He just pulls out a gun on the table, yeah. a big wad of cash, yeah. and and yeah, you know, the waitress kind of walks off mm. at this stage. And you're thinking. What sort of world is this where yeah, it's just yeah. some dude can would would act like this? And he does say an interesting line to him, which is, you don't know. Oh, I forget that you don't realise what's happened to the world. Mm. So it's something along those lines. So it's, it's implying that he's been locked away in this, you know, little villa for too long now that the world's changed a bit. Yeah. And it's a bit more violent or something, you know. And so he's got to catch up with the rest of the world, you know. Um, he's not exposed to the realities at and all. And it's interesting that he gets that box and he said, this is the new security protocols. Mm. And it's not clear what that means. And we do find out a little bit later on mm, when, when there's the break-in and he's worried and he runs up and he opens it and there's a gun mm. and the doors all close around him. Mm. And the guy on the screen says, what's going on? Are you okay? And in at the time I was sort of thinking, oh, okay, this is quite, you know, again, a bit cyberpunky, yeah. you know, like, your security process is to be have a weapon and lock everything down and then like the the killer man is immediately <laughs> in contact with you. Yeah. But when you look back you're going thinking, actually the context where he's inside the archive, like a computer I think 
this must be some sort of representative thing. Is that gun for suicide? Yeah. You know, basically yeah. to end the program mm. early. Yep, yep. And, you know, it locks him down so he can't make any phone calls in or out. There's, mm. His information can't move around inside this archive anymore. Yeah, is it, is it and to self-destruct? Is it a self-destruct mechanism? That's what I – like at the time I thought it was a security measure and now I'm thinking actually maybe that was like a self-destruct button, like a – you're having some sort of major freakout because yeah. a major freakout is like what he had there, where he he thinks there's people have broken in and there's things smashed and there's alarms going off, and he's panicking. He opens it up, and maybe some people go, "This is all too much." Mm. Okay, and yeah, they're not actually committing suicide; they're just ending the program. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, and and that guy is very robotic. You know, he's got some sort of grill, but he's also yeah, he's, very he's square. He's got a couple, couple little blue yeah, lights on him, little yeah. Bluetooth sewn into his <laughs> neck or whatever. Um, and he's very square jawed, you know, like uh, you know, a bit like Red Dwarf, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is the midpoint, really. This freak out. He realizes as well that J three is missing. Yeah. And at the same time, we then get the flashback to them in the car, and in this scene in the car with his wife, they have the argument. You know, about going to Japan and whether they she wants to go to Japan and she doesn't, you know, you can see that it wasn't really her idea to go to Japan and you see more of the car accident. So you see the actual, this car fly over and hit them a lot and harder. It makes more sense that, because at the time she's going, I don't want to go to Japan. I thought, yeah. well, well, three years, I mean, it sounds like a great opportunity for him. Like, but when you realise that she was pregnant at the time, perhaps mm. what she was thinking is, I don't want to be locked in a bunker having yeah. a baby. I want my family around and I want to be able to like take the kid to daycare yeah, and, yeah. you know, it's We're not really the middle of nowhere it's not a family raising no. situation, which I could totally understand. Yep. So it's a really good midpoint is what we are talking about before that the story now gets more serious. So he's J3. Some It, it gives you the impression that someone's broken in, taken J3. Yes. He, we're given this flashback that his wife did like they had this horrific car accident and then he goes looking for her. Um, he goes out with the drones. He's got to take them out to the forest and he, he can't find her, you know, and so it's the real example here of bad guys closing in that the world is crumbling a bit on him. Mm. So here, you know, the loot, we're, we're led to that illusion that there is these outside forces coming down. Uh, I loved actually in that break-in scene how the lights, he turned them off after a minute and I did think, why wouldn't you turn them off a lot quicker? But the alarm was going off and it was yeah. all red and, sh- you know, that real circular flashing red light and the, I don't know what the voiceover was saying of the house. Is it? Uh, you probably something, alarm, alarm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was annoying. And then he just says, shut off alarm and it all goes back to normal. I'm like, why wouldn't you do that straight away? Because it was really annoying. But yeah, anyway. I would have thought you'd wake up and immediately like turn it off. Shouldn't instead of a red flashing light, wouldn't you just turn all the lights on to maximum brightness? Yeah, and so you can see everything. Do, if someone's anyway, in the house, but yeah. I did. I did. I chuckled to myself a little bit because when he was, he came out. You saw the broken glass saying, "He says lights on." And the the brightness didn't change. <laughs> <laughs> Little table lamp shone. Yeah. A couple of shadow positions because changed. It's the movie, sorry, it's the movies. We're gonna have the red flashing light to but, say it's an alarm. But yeah, it's, it's just um, I I thought yeah, lights on. It didn't really change at all. Yeah, and he also gets 
Uh, he gets a call from his boss in this as well, and this bad guy is kind of closing in so that he might be in trouble for the visit from the archive people. Mm, it's so while, legal he's, action. Yeah, he's, you know, again, we're like, oh, no, what's happened to J3? They've stolen J3. Um, he can't find her. He sent off the drones. He went looking for her in the wilderness and he couldn't find her. And yeah, the, the 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 now his boss is like, you know, you these archive. But we pay for the archive, your wife's archive. Yeah, they've come out, and now they're kind of threatening to sue because are you creating AI from the archive? Yeah, they're going to own. They're going to own, own this. Yeah, doing patent infringement. Yeah. yeah, and so again, it's raising the stakes. It's kind of his world crumbling in, and then he finds her in. He hears a bit of a noise, and he finds J three. In this cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> Again, she comes out screaming. Yes. Which I loved, the horrifying scream. But he kind of convinces her they have quite an intimate moment that she's going to be okay and he's going to work on her and she needs a bit of time and all this sort of stuff. Um, but again, it showed how vulnerable she yeah, was. Yeah, and, and, and this is where he discovers that you know, maybe J2 dragged her off and was having a bit of a moment. So he locks her up and takes her legs off her. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I, mean, I do that to my kids all the time. I know. Just take the legs away. Well, basically she got grounded. She got she, grounded. He shut her down. He took the legs stay off. Stay in your room. Yeah. And we have that great montage, you know, yeah. here that, you know, the birthing scene, the latex scene, the the fluid scene of, of she becoming much more like his wife. So now she gets the montage of the skin around her. And I, I liked in there the leg scene where, the legs are tested. Yeah, just on running the on the train. And he's just standing there watching them <laughs> running on a travelator. That was cool. And when J2 wakes up, she's she can't quite walk on yeah, the clunky those, legs. Little skinny legs now. Yeah, it's not quite right for her. And, you know, she's very moody. And he, he does say something to her, which is such a, like, dad comment. Is it? It's like, oh, come back and talk to you when you're... Uh, off your rags or whatever. Yes. <laughs> when you're you know, not like, pounding so much. Yeah, when, you, when you're off it. And it was such a such a dad comment, I thought. And anyway, she realises that she won't be his little special only J2 anymore. Uh, she and has a little this... moment. She wanders out in the mist and she wanders out and stands out there and looks and, you know, mopes around. And then she walks back and she doesn't make it back to her little recharging station. No. She just stands there until she runs out of power <laughs> yeah. and clonks down the ground. Yeah. And... <laughs> Like, oh. <laughs> it was great, that bit. But it's nice because George does come back and, and cares for her and, and gets yeah. her back up and recharges and her. J3 herself. is like, do, 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 do. Yeah. My sister. J1, you mean, yeah. Oh, J1, sorry. Yeah, J1. <laughs> yes. It's, it's pretty good. We get these interesting scenes of J3 becoming more human, dancing yeah. and speaking French, tasting food and mm. responding to it. And then we get this strange scene where she sort of climbs into bed. You know, they're, they're having... Yeah. Memories. Yeah, she's having memories of snuggling with him. Yeah, and she goes in there and and uh, I liked this because it's just like, uh, you know, how is he going to react to this? Because you're thinking this is his goal. Yeah, yeah. His goal is to have this. And then he gets up and he's like a bit freaked out by the fact that this robot is doing this. Mm. And uh, at the time, I was like, oh, that's quite unusual. Yeah, I I thought this was his goal, Mm. and it was. Then later on, just you know, shown that that was not his goal. Yeah, it was not. So, and before that, we get then the really all is lost of J two, given up, given up, and she goes out. She organizes all her favorite things. Yeah, a little shrine a little to herself, shrine, yeah. like like her farewell. Yeah, 
and then she wanders off and just walks into the lake. Just walks into the lake, yeah. Yeah. Very um, sacrificial. And they have a little burial for her, which is very sweet. Yeah. Uh, or it's more of just a memorial, I yeah. should say, because they don't have her, you know, carcass or whatever it is, <laughs> chassis. Yeah. But, yeah, it was a total self-sacrifice, walked into the water. We knew that early in the film he kept saying, get out of the rain and you can't be in the water, you know, you can't be in the snow too long. Uh, so, yeah, in this kind of moment and all that, J3 becoming more like it, he's, as you said, the goal we thought was to create just a, a robot that was like his wife, but he reveals that it's, well, she, actually J3 realises that he didn't want that. He wants something that can handle his wife's data. Yes. So and so she's actually only a test, which means like J2, she's going to be wiped. Yes. And so she's not too happy about that. No, and she has that little phone call. Does she have a phone call now or after she? Yeah, this is when she tries talking to the she, wife. She has yeah. a little talk and then there's there's all the bad guys are closing in. Like, So we've gotten, uh, you know, it's like, People are breaking into the place. That the, yeah, that's what then starts. The doors yeah. start being opening, and then she finally acquiesces and says okay, and lies there and gets uh, the little chip jabbed into her head mm. uh, to become his wife. Yeah, and she wakes up from that, and there's this phone call from the the box. Yeah, and this is this is the final sort of scene where we get the reversal, yep. where we get the real ending. So they, they, we thought the plan was to build up and get this AI and then, you know, how's that going to end up? The door's open. There's no bad guys there. Yeah, that's really weird, isn't it? And you're yeah. like, what uh, to yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd started suspecting, of course, that he was source coded Yeah. at, <laughs> at some point, um, Jim, when we saw some more of his flashbacks to the car crash. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, he answers the phone. And, yes, of course, it's revealed this is goodbye to him. Mm, it's his daughter. Yes. And so then there's flashes of his wife was pregnant and the car crash is a bit more like his hands are dead on the, the steering wheel versus her hands. Yeah. And so with that, he's kind of like, and then the daughter says, you know, mummy's not going to bring me back here anymore. We have to say goodbye. And his wife then says, you know, well, goodbye. And he's like, huh? Mm. And, and, it, and um, it makes sense now why yeah, he couldn't make of, phone calls out. Yes, that's exactly and right. And when he yeah. did try to call and ask about Sinclair and Vincent or whoever had turned up, mm. it was just this weird computer voice saying, no, that, no, that's not. Yeah, that's right. No one works here. No one does that. Yeah. So we as an audience here are like, oh, he was in the databank all along. Yeah, ah. it, makes, it makes a lot of the earlier scenes. Uh, and I love it when you have these yeah, the, double meaning scenes when yeah. you're get the new information and you go back and you look at the old yes. scenes, they have a different meaning. And so then we're outside the box and they're hanging up the phone and the little technician that we had earlier in the film's like, yeah, you know, sorry for your loss and the machine sort of, I think, shuts down basically, yeah. doesn't it? And she walks away with the daughter. And, a, and a, yeah, it's softer light. It's not as cold no, and hard no. anymore. It's a slight, what do you call it, a... A warm tone mm -hmm. rather yeah. than that white bluey tone that was in yeah. the previous ones. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. more colour in that shot for sure. So, yeah, that brings us to the end of Archive. It's a great little AI mind-bending data bank <laughs> cyberpunk uh, futuristic sort of film uh, here by Gavin and uh, got a lot of great elements to it. It's really interesting camera work. It's very bleak. You're going to feel cold. Get yourself a little jumper when you watch this film. Mm. Um, I definitely did. So 
What about on your ladder or where maybe you would recommend watching archive around some of the other films that we've gone through, Sorry, For my... Well, I, s- oh, you go. I, I, I was looking at it and I was thinking it'd be very easy to chuck this because we've, we've done a, quite a number of these sort of AI yeah. films just lately. Yeah, just chuck it in with but I Chappie. Thought, I thought what I really needed to do with this film is it was very uh, long, slow scenes, contemplative. There's a lot of thinking to it. It's cold. There's a lot of this imagery of of the camera sort of movements with the rushing river going over the waterfall and, and the snow. It's, it's very sort of uh, moody in that sense. Yeah. So I thought, you know what, you should probably put it with space balls, <laughs> uh, like almost uh, a diametrically opposite A palate view. cleanser. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like you can, you've got this one and then you go straight into that. And I think that you'd need to have it though, I put Gantz Zero which right. if you remember is the anime with the weird yeah, monsters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so if you go Spaceballs, weird monsters, and then you get yourself a bit of this um, archive. Mm. So you, you you kind of, or you might go the other direction, watch a bit of archive and then the monsters, and by, by that time you're going to be feeling a little bit kind of disturbed. <laughs> you get yourself some Spaceballs. Yeah, it's true, true. Just lighten the mood a little yeah, bit. Yeah. you got to, you got to, you got to, you know, vary that playlist a little bit. Keep firing assholes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew what I'm surrounded by assholes. Yes. Yeah. Like, it's exactly. And yeah, yourself. Yeah, be a good, good palate cleanser. I like that. Um, yeah, I, I didn't quite go that path, but I did think, this one I really did think about where it might fit in with some of the other ones we've looked at. And um, to be honest, going right back really early in Space Brains, we looked at the Beyond. Oh, yes. And I think... For me, I, I didn't look at it your way as in, you know, yeah, kind of fitting into something maybe a lot lighter. I just kind of more went, again, these three would work reasonably well together. Mm. And so I went beyond archive and then replicas. Because in beyond they get put into robot bodies they do, in yeah, order to survive of, the yes. wormhole. Yes. Um, and also replicas kind of that. He's yeah, bringing that, his wife back. Bringing his wife back again. So I just kind of thought it'd be some different concepts. Um you know that that oh, was it um the discovery you know that was another one that we mm, did remember yeah, and where again it was like bringing people back from the they're, dead they're living past lives over living, and over yeah, yeah and so yeah again it was kind of like that one as well i thought might work well here oh, yeah, i quite like that film actually yeah, yeah it was a cool film so yeah anyway um that was my where i thought would be a good little trilogy again on a friday or saturday night if you're really yeah i think we it. need to get some of our listeners sending some we some do. little so let us mixes know. in. So go through some of the films that we've recovered, and and pick out little film recovered. festivals. You know, so you get yourself yeah. out. You move your marathons that That's you right. might you might set yourself up for. Or you know you could um, you know because again time's always a big issue. But you might go, hey, I'm going to watch these three movies over this week. Yeah. You know, so it's like a real sort of. I'm going to divide, you know, do, do, do a deep dive into these kind of concepts and these tropes yeah. that we're starting. So to I think about. I mentioned before, one of our listeners is doing it by time, yes, by decade. That's an awesome so idea. Similarly, in order to be able to sort of fit a movie into the time period that it was done in, because often sometimes we can go back and watch a, a film that was done in the '60s, mm. and you sort of maybe forget what other films were happening at that time, yeah, what right. what the mood was and what, what generally was yep. the ideas. Yep. And, you know, it's easy, for example, to miss the greatness of those 2001 Space Odyssey mm. until you go and watch some of the other 60s sci-fi and how they were done. Yeah. And you suddenly realise, like, you look at um, Soil and Green compared to 2001. They're only right. separated by, like, three years, I think. Yep. 
but you, you know, like just the the film style and the and the mm. um, direction and the effects yeah, yeah. and things, and even the themes can be quite different because of what's mm. happening in the world at that time. You know, yeah. So it's that's a good idea. So what about the science? Sorry, we have talked a lot about AI. <laughs> I've got some new. So I've got some new more stuff. AI, yeah. More AI stuff, or uh, are you so- going to focus on a data bank that can store our consciousness? No, I've already talked about that. But the tenth <laughs> of June, we had a nice bit of um, a paper was released. Oh, okay. Yes, so, so there was a Shoji Takeuchi is, a, mm. is an engineer specializing in, and I've never heard of this before. Biohybrid systems. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's at the University of Tokyo in Japan, mm. not to be confused with the University of Tokyo in Australia, <laughs> which doesn't exist. All right. <laughs> yeah. So what he's done and this biohybrid systems is he's taken a look at um, this way of making a human-like looking robot. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Because it's quite difficult. You know, A lot of people have tried. Mm-hmm. And so... He has said, and I've got a little quote from here, he says, our goal is to develop robots that are truly human-like. We think right. that the only way to achieve an appearance that can be mistaken for a human being, and I might just interject here and say, why on earth would you want something <laughs> to happen? But okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, is to cover it with the same material as a human being, Ooh. living skin cells. Ooh, okay. So this is what he's done. He has created a little robotic finger, Right. Uh, you know, it, which is a very simple little appendage that yeah. is noticeably human. But it's, it's very easy to just make a couple little joints and, and yeah. make something looks like a finger. Yeah. But rather than chucking a, a silicon skin over it, which is a very common thing, mm. but tends to give you that, well, you know what, a silicon glove, it doesn't look right. Yeah. He's gone and coated it in living skin cells. Right. Wow. And so he did this in a way not too dissimilar from what we saw in this film in a liquid bath. Mm. So let me let me see. It was a two-part process. So first of all, you've got this mix of collagen and human uh-huh. dermal fibroblasts, mm-hmm. which sounds exciting, but they're just skin cells. <laughs> yeah, that's just <laughs> the way scientists talk about it is, is human dermal fibroblasts. Yeah, skin cells. Uh, and mix this into a, like a soup mm-hmm. and then... Just dropped the finger in it, right? And yeah, and it, and it's set there basically. And this, um, the these cells, they're living they cells with the collagen. It. They just kind of built up around it, mm. and he, he pulled it out. And so now he's got a bit of a coating on it, but it's not quite right mm. yet. It's yeah. it's pretty good. It's formed this close fitting um, finger uh, skin on the finger. <laughs> Let's get some eyes on. It's just so hard to talk about these things. But that only acts as then as a foundation and like a molding to hold the second thing. Mm. So that is the let's call it the epidermis, mm. which is the outside coating of skin cells. And it's um more skin cells the same sort that make up most of our skin cells are the outer parts of skin right. cells. So wow. it makes up this liquid and it just gets poured onto it in different ways. So it's not soaked in a bath in this case. It's just poured on mm. uh, and you do that a little bit and it sort of soaks in like a sponge. Right. And the second wow. layer then, it sits there for, it was left to culture for two weeks. Mm. So <laughs> that would, imagine that you go into this guy's, you know, um, you lab. a couple of fingers. And it'd just be like a, a finger. There's a photo of it online. You know, it's, <laughs> it, it looks dreadful. <laughs> it, it really does look a little bit organic, a bit like uh, some sort of, um, who's that guy, Cronenberg, uh, you know, the, the fly or the <laughs> yeah. thing. You yeah. know, it looks a bit like that. But 
the resulting skin apparently has a human-like texture to it. And in fact, when you cut it uh, or it splits, you can heal it by applying a bit of a collagen bandage, mm. which just kind of grows into it, which is like a, the way we heal with scar tissue. Yeah, And right. so it, it can heal because mm. it's a living tissue. It's a bit like the new Terminator in Terminator mm, yeah. 2. Because yeah. <laughs> in Terminator 1, he, he didn't heal. He just slowly rotted yeah. off as he got damaged. In Terminator 2, it was a slightly more advanced robot version. Um, so anyway, it's, it's made this robot skin. Uh-huh. And it was, it's made with uh, commercially available experimental human skin cells, mm-hmm. which is, you know, attempting to, usually it's used for like healing burns mm. and tissues. And he says, research on mass production is being actively conducted in other fields such as regenerative medicine and cultured meat research. <sighs> Lovely. So that's, that's where this good. skin cells comes <laughs> from. I know it's all, it's all terribly bizarre and, and, it's very much fodder for science fiction, yeah, isn't yeah. it? And we're just yeah. asking for a bit of science fiction to come out of that. Yeah. Um, but so we have made uh, a number of advances in the production of skin and skin-like substances. And it's primarily not for robot coatings, but rather for burn victims yeah. and yeah. surgeries and, and that sort of thing where large patches of skin need to be replaced and, you know, otherwise you just have no skin there and you die. And I'd imagine like even amputees, this whole process, if if they could get to that advantage point where it works, mm. I mean, you, you could have a robotic leg, but then the skin, like actual skin growing yes, over, you like could, so your leg would look like a leg, you know? Yeah, like, it would look like a leg, which would, which would probably, you know, I suppose... I honestly don't know what it's like to be an amputee no. and having a mechanical leg, but I imagine it must be a great comfort, first of all, to be able to stand up on well, your you own just again. just look like everyone else. But then also the... be able to wear shorts yeah. and not have people yeah. constantly ask you the questions about, you know. Well, I mean, even those fake, you know, the, the fake leg now, like yeah. the medical legs, that's not robotic. I mean, they make they're, you can see the mouldings and that. They're trying to make them look like legs. Yeah. So that yeah. must be a desire of an amputee is for it to look like real legs. Yeah, so. I know. I think they would. Be. I mean, I wouldn't mind going for something that looked like a Terminator leg, please. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, and I'm sure that there's – because, yeah, you get those, uh, like, the, the running, the blades. Yeah, that's right. And stuff, yeah. So, but here's something that I thought was just a little bit Silence of the Lambs-ish. <laughs> so there are other advances in the production of skin Oof, which we involve creating sheets of living human skin. Oh, yeah, baby. Which can then be cut <laughs> and tailored. Ooh. For various shapes of a body, which mm. does remind me of Buffalo Bill there making a <laughs> human skin suit. So, uh, and the that's, lotion on its skin? that's particularly coming out of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that really would be a robot saying that, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. <laughs> so, because here's some research in Caltech have made a printable artificial skin, which is made of a soft hydrogel, right. uh, and it has embedded sensors that can detect pressure, temperature, and even dangerous chemicals. Wow! So wow. they're trying to. They're trying to make these sort of skins. And again, it's, it's for human regenerative purposes, mm. but it would work for robots. Mm. So um, Takeuchi's method, however, it creates this form fit without having to, you know, cut and then sew and stitch and reheal. And it's yeah, that's right. quite difficult. If you could do it more like in this film here where you've got like a, a bathtub mm. and you chuck the robot in and it yeah. kind of gets this coating on it, which yeah. forms a... a you know, like a glove, and then you feed that with skin cells. Mm. And so uh, there's some problems with scaling up the experiment, of course, 
And that is you've got to find efficient ways of bridging skin in large quantities. Mm-hmm. It took weeks, two weeks. Uh, the, so the first part took several days and then the, the second part takes a couple of weeks. So it's about three weeks in total to get mm. a finger's worth of skin on there. Yeah. So the other problem, of course, is that the product is a lot weaker than our own skin mm. and it must be constantly tended to in order for it to survive. Like you've got to yeah. keep, keep it wet and moist and with nutrients and stuff. Mm. And to maintain for a long period of time, it's got to have its own circulatory system uh-huh. yeah. uh, which can pl- supply nutrients. You've got to you know, feed it. Yeah, so a lot of work to keep your robot looking like a a human. Yeah, and this sort of brings me to this question though of do we, you know, how human do we want our robots to look Mm. really? And we've got a few people looking into this uh, in various places and this uh, Maria Paolo Palladino and she's from the University of Trento uh, in Perth, no, in Italy. (laughs) There is no Trento in Perth. She makes out that she makes the point here that touch uh, is very important human social interrelationships and in building trust and so forth. And so perhaps even if you could have a robot that could touch and feel human, mm. you might give it more trust. So if you're talking about a a caregiving robot uh-huh. that you know you're maybe you're have difficulty and you need help getting out of your bed and uh, into a wheelchair or some of these sorts of yeah. things, it might be nice rather than having a, a, a mechanical bit mechanical. of forklift yeah. you know, <laughs> hauling you about the place, perhaps something that sort of felt like a nice comforting arm yeah, of course. that helped you up. Maybe, maybe that would make you, you know, not be afraid of being crushed to death so much. That's right. Even if it probably could still <laughs> yeah. crush you to death. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why you'd make a care robot powerful enough to crush you to death, but perhaps it's just... If well, you need to be, be strong enough to pick yeah, up 80 pick kilos, up, yeah, it's, it's going to be strong enough to crush 80, 80 kilos. kilos. Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, we've got a few other problems, of course, uh, with this. We've got the Uncanny Valley situation, which is this thing where something that looks too human-like but not quite mm. freaks us out. Yeah. Like this is like right. creepy doll territory mm. where uh, – and, and you see it in a lot of horror films make yeah. use of this where yeah. Yeah. they make a – person move or the, and joints articulate oddly like so mm. you could have a person just walking but they maybe they change the speed of the film and, and slow yep. it down speed up and slow it down so you get that weird sort of jerky sort of yep. movement yep, yep. it totally creeps you out yep. even though it just looks like a person walking and a person yeah. can walk like that yeah yeah it's just it's really it's not quite the it's way kind of like double move. jointed, you know, the, the effect of double jointedness when mm. someone does that and it's kind of, oh, like yeah, it's, it's it can just, make you feel a bit squirmy, can't it? Yeah, so anyway, so there's a study done in the Georgia Institute of Technology mm. and they found that most college-age adults, so we're talking 18 to 21-year-olds sort of thing, you know, young adults, mm. they preferred their robots to look like robots mm. while other robots preferred a more human faces. Oh, older adults. Other robots. <laughs> other robots. So older the college adults. students want them to look like robots. Other robots want them to look like humans. Who yeah, are these other robots? The, uh, the older adults. <laughs> and the other one is the role that the robot plays. Yeah. And I think this is true. So there's mm. um, most individuals, individuals prefer house cleaning robots to mm. look more like machines. Yeah. While those communicating with us and performing smart tasks like giving information mm. or like say checking us into a hotel yeah. prefer a more human looking thing. Right, yeah. Yep. And yep. I yep. can see that. Because, yeah. I, I yep. think that's also that part of things that 
Um, most, most normal people aren't so keen on, you know, having domestic servants that are humans. Yeah. Well, that sort of sounds odd, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, chimps? No. But if you're going to have something that cleans the floors, yeah. you don't want it to look too human because then you're like, you, you know, it's like Probably in this movie where you're saying, house, open the doors. Yeah. You don't want to just be like commanding some dude. No. Like, mm, it's... I mean, maybe in some times in the past that would not have been the case, but these yep. days, I have to agree. I would, if my Google Assistant didn't look like just a little lump on the desk, <laughs> if it looked like a person that I spoke to, the way I spoke to it and dealt with it would be very different, and I probably would feel uh, embarrassed or shy to ask it to, um, you know, turn a timer <laughs> on or, you know, start playing something on Netflix. You know, yeah. it'd, it'd be a bit awkward. But anyway, that's I think. I think there's still that question I have, which is how a human. Like, I'm not sure. I really, uh, I, I'm not really convinced in having humans. Uh, sorry, <laughs> robots that look like humans. Yeah. I just, even if they were talking about artificial intelligence, a general intelligence of yeah. a human level, making it look like you know, like the replicants yeah, or yeah. the in extinction, these AI. I don't know why you'd make them. You know, Look your exactly. servants looking just like humans. It's like, is that because you feel like you need to have actual slaves, but you don't want to have slaves? Yeah. But I suppose the thing is what would probably happen is, of course, you know, like it is one thing to say, yeah, you don't want to necessarily have a maid in your house mopping the floors when a, you know, like those iRobot vacuum cleaners could mm. clean the floor, right? If that could clean the floor, a, a, a robot that looks like a person is such a waste of energy, right? Yeah. Like, why would you need that when just a little circle of disc could clean your floors? But then I guess the thing is some people out there would want companions and some people would want a robot to be, like you said, you might need a robot to pick you up out of bed and take you to the bathroom and get you dressed like a carer. Mm. And so that starts to become other, like yeah, another I, I, I think so, role. How how but human do yeah, they have to look? Though I know, I know that, but it, but I think the problem is that there would be there's a market for that companionship. I think, I think there would be, and then they? so no, well there is, isn't there? Because oh. there is sex robots and sex dolls and stuff. There are already people who have yeah, apparent relationships already, with their yeah. latex doll, right? So I mean, imagine if like what what was the Japanese? You know, you're making skin. Well. That's a whole other level, isn't it? You know, but I think even if you take away like sex robot, even just companionship, like someone out there would be like, well, if I'm going to pay $5,000 for a robot to clean my floors, it might as well look like a person that I can talk to because I don't have any friends, you know, like, oh, yeah, I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't I know. Could, like, I could appreciate that. I suppose yeah. if I could sit and, you know, you and I do play. this podcast, but it's a bit different if you're just totally on your own and you're just. Yeah, well, I mean, you don't seem to mind talking to me as a robot. No. I mean, it's just. <laughs> right. I am not. You could do happy. a podcast with a robot, you know, like that's the whole thing, right? Like, but then would they have to look like it? No, I suppose not. But I don't know. It's an interesting question. Well, until we get video on this podcast, for all you know, we do look. Actually, no, it's <laughs> going to see the video of the uh, the film festival coming out. Yes. You'll see uh, the crazy looks we have. Yes, we have lots of crazy looks. All right, well, that brings us to the end. Thanks for delving into that science aspect and let us know what you thought about Archive. Hit us up as we're talking about some of those 
touch points throughout the episode tonight, the narrative, uh, where you would put on your la- uh, ladder, sorry, um, what you think about the science, uh, you know, did we get that hope warning experiment bit right? Um, you know, what what are your thoughts on Archive? Uh, let us know. You can hit us up on our website, spacebrains.com.au. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I just suddenly had thought, hang on, is the AU on it? It is on you. Uh, it, it is there. Uh, of course, you are listening to this probably on Apple or Spotify, but wherever you listen to us, think about chucking us a review or a rating, hopefully a good one. But, uh, yeah, chuck some information up there. Reach out on the socials. We are predominantly on TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. So find us on one of those channels and very soon to be on YouTube, as Sari has talked about. But let us know what you thought about the episode. Maybe give us a suggestion of a new film. I just realised it's episode 85 next. Which is a classic. It's a level... A level five, it's a divisible by five, a factor yeah. of five, therefore classic. Classic. So what are we going and why is it a classic? I, I, I want to suggest that we look at Steven Spielberg's Minority Report. Minority Report. This is one that is a classic, I firmly believe. If you're out there and you disagree with me, well, then come at me. Come at me hard. Come at, come at me with the three I've got, I've got clones. Two, I've got two reasons why this one's a classic. <laughs> one, we use the term... Um, future crime and minority yeah. report, like they they they're starting to enter lexicon. I've they heard are. people they referring are. to that. Yeah, and the other one, of course, is that lovely scene where yeah, Tom Cruise's character is reaching in space, dealing with all the multiple <laughs> windows and hand gestures. There's so many that has become a staple of uh, at least a certain to a certain amount, um, user interfaces for sci-fi of that yeah. variety. And and it's like a you go onto something like Canva and it's like a stock image now. It's not Tom, but other people doing that, you know, like yeah, with it's... all sorts of grids in the air. And, you know, is that the future where we are sort of touching the air like Tom Cruise likes to touch the air? <laughs> so I think there's many reasons to make this a classic and we'll, we will focus on them heavily for episode 85. Until then, see ya. Bye-bye.